If I turn my microphone on, there we go. Uh, what a game yesterday. Uh, if, if you don't know, uh, Ohio State uh, played Michigan State, which is my football team yesterday. Um, and not to spoil anything, but it wasn't really much of a game at all. Um, I don't want to spoil to you guys who won, though, just in case you didn't win uh, if, or if you didn't watch it. Uh, that wouldn't be right for me to spoil it. So I'm not going to tell you who won or lost, but it wasn't really much of a game. Uh, but thank goodness for one side of the fan base uh, that we are in that holly jolly Christmas time of the year. Uh, as last week, uh, we started a new series on uh, the characters of Christmas, and it serves as a wonderful opportunity for all of us to really focus on, to really remember the true reason of the season. And, and that, of course, as we all know, is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you, as you're going through your day-to-day life, week by week, during this exciting, fun holiday time of the year, I'd encourage you in the midst of all the fun, all of the songs, all of the family time, that you remember what the true reason of the season is, the true meaning. And again, that's the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today we we get to take a look at this Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, through the perspective of Joseph. Last week we took a look at the perspective of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and today we take a look at the perspective of Joseph. Joseph, kind of the the father of Jesus, but technically, in more literal terms, he is not the father of Jesus. As, of course, we we read last week that Mary, she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is literally the son of God, as he was conceived uh, by, by God. And so he's a son of God. And so as we go throughout this series, uh, I was inspired uh, by Pastor uh, David Karn, uh, who had uh, a similar series going over the different characters um, of Christmas and the perspective that we can learn from each of these different characters. And so now, Joseph, as we talk about Joseph this morning, we have to understand that Joseph, he is from the line of David, King David, all the way back in First and Second Samuel and, and the Kings and Chronicles as well. King David, around 1000 BC, if you fast forward 1000 years after King David, we run into Joseph as Joseph was from the line of David. Now, that also means that Joseph, he was of the line of Abraham as well as uh, the, the great, great descendant of Abraham was David, and David's great, great descendant um, is uh, Joseph. Uh, the, Matthew kind of talks about, uh, Matthew chapter 1 goes through this genealogy and the different generations there, if you are curious. So Joseph, he is a descendant of the promises that God made to both Abraham and King David. And these promises revolved around being a great nation. God promised uh, to Abraham back in, starting back in Genesis 12. God promised Abraham that, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation, your family is going to be blessed. And so Joseph, he is a descendant of that promise that God made to Abraham. 
And that's around 2000 BC. You go to around 1000 BC in the time of King David, God made a number of promises to King David as well. God told David that, that there would be an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that has no end. And in this everlasting kingdom, there would be someone from the, the, the tribe of Judah. There'd be someone from uh, the, the family of David who would sit on the throne of David and he would rule in God's kingdom forever and ever. And these are the promises that, that were promised to King David. And so now Joseph, he is a descendant of those promises as well. And so now we, we don't know exactly about Mary. Some speculate that Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, uh, is in this lineage as well, as it was common back in that time to marry someone else from your same tribe or, or, or your same area. So, so it's possible that, that Mary was from the lineage of Abraham and David as well, um, but we just don't know. We don't know if that's the truth. We don't know if that's not the case. But we do know that Joseph is from the, the, the lineage lineage of King David, which is important to take note of when, when you take a look at the promises uh, that God provided to David, um, the promises that revolve around Jesus and how Jesus, he is a descendant of King David as well. And so last week, as we took a look at the perspective of Mary, we spent a lot of time in the book of Luke. Today, as we take a look at the, the perspective of Joseph, we're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew. Matthew and Luke are kind of the two gospels that go over uh, the nativity scene, over the birth of Jesus. Mark, he kind of he jumps right to the point of, of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, so throughout this series, we're going to be spending a lot of time specifically in Matthew and Luke. And so today, we're going to be reading from Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Matthew, and we're going to start in chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Matthew, and we're going to start in verse 18 after Matthew lists the genealogy of Jesus, or really the, the genealogy of Joseph. And so in Matthew chapter 1, uh, in verse 18, it reads, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now let's dissect uh, the, the, these two verses here. Um, if, if we remember from our reading last week in Luke, um, the angel Gabriel came and told Mary in the book of Luke that Mary was going to give birth to the Son of God. And, and that this child, he would save people from, uh, from their sins, and he would be born of a virgin, you, uh, Virgin Mary, and he'd be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so this is all the, the promises that the angel Gabriel shared to Mary, and, and, and these great things that would take place in Mary's life, that she would be the mother of the Son of God. And so now Mary, uh, while this promise was made to Mary, and as uh, she uh, was conceived and, and she was bearing the Son of God in her belly, at the same time, she was betrothed to a man named Joseph, kind, kind of uh, the, the main character that we're taking a look at this morning. Now, it's kind of tricky when we read about Mary and Joseph being betrothed to one another because we don't really have an exact equivalent today in our society in the 21st century. 
But a lot of people uh, compare it to an engagement today, and rightfully so. They, 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 are, they have a lot of similarities between one another. But uh, a betrothal, people coming together and, and who are betrothed, it has a deeper level of commitment. As this betrothal period, it would start with the groom or the groom's parents. So in this case, it would either be Joseph or Joseph's parents paying the bridal price. They, they would have to pay a price to receive Mary as a bride. And, and this would kind of start the betrothal period. And this was often set up and organized by the parents of the bride and the groom as that was common, and not just in Jewish tradition, but it's even still common in some other cultures today in the 21st century. The parents would often just organize it all, facilitate it all, and set it all up. And so this would begin the betrothal period, the groom or the groom's parents paying the bridal price. And typically, this would last for about a year. We're not exactly sure how long this betrothal period between Joseph and Mary lasts. But a typical period would take place for about a full year. And now it's kind of tricky because someone, Mary and Joseph, as they were betrothed to one another, they were basically considered husband and wife. The, the tricky thing, though, is they did not have all the rights of a husband and a wife. We, we, we know, biblically speaking, that a husband and a wife, when they are officially married, they officially have the right to lie down with one another. Well, well someone who's going through the, this betrothal period, they do not have those rights. They, they cannot lie down with their future spouse, even though they, they're kind of considered to, to their culture around them, they're, they're, they're basically considered to be husband and wife already. But they would spend this year, and this year was very, very important because this year served as a testing period. This year provided an opportunity for both the groom and the bride to test their spouse and see if they would remain faithful. Because even though they couldn't lie down with one another, it was still considered adultery if they would go and sleep with another man and woman. So it served as a great opportunity for, for them to, to test and see, hey, is my partner going to be faithful to me or not? And they'd be in about this state, they'd be in about this test for about a full year. And so again, long story short, Joseph and Mary being betrothed together, uh, kind of in our terms, an engagement. But really, it has a deeper level of commitment than an engagement here in the year 2020. And really, uh, this betrothal period really uh, had more commitment than a lot of marriages that we see today, unfortunately, in the year 2020. So I, I describe all of that because as Joseph and Mary, as they were in this uh, betrothal period, Mary was found to be pregnant. Through the perspective of Joseph, Mary has failed her test. She failed her test. Through the perspective of Joseph, her spouse-to-be failed her test as she was not faithful to Joseph. Joseph. 
as somehow the message was not received by Joseph that Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a couple of different options here. Option number one, maybe Mary tried to tell Joseph, but Joseph was like, no way, that, that's not possible. You're crazy, Mary. You're, you're out of your mind. If that's the case, I certainly would not blame Joseph um, as it probably just could have been uh, an excuse for Mary to try and get away to cover up her unfaithfulness. Um, would, would you believe such a crazy story. I, I don't think I would believe such a crazy story. So that's a possibility that Mary tried to share this news with Joseph, but I think it's more likely that, that this information was never shared to Joseph in the first place. Whether or not Mary and Joseph hung out with each other and Mary just chose not to share this information of possibility, but I think the most probable scenario, we, we, we don't know for certain, but I think the most probable scenario is that Mary and Joseph, they just didn't see each other much. It, it was very common back in their time when two people were in this betrothal period that they would spend very little to no time together at all. So it would have been very likely that if they didn't spend any time together, Joseph, he would not have known that Mary was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit. And instead, Joseph, he probably heard from word of mouth, as that's kind of how news spread in, in, in that day and age. Through, through the word of mouth, someone probably saw Mary getting bigger, say, hey, Mary, are you pregnant? Mary says, yeah, I'm pregnant. And, and you know how rumors spread? It's like the game of telephone. You know, it can start as a truth, but as it gets passed down and down and down the line, it gets further and further from the truth. And so somehow Joseph, he knew that Mary was pregnant, but he did not understand that she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so I, I can't imagine the pain and the hurt that Joseph would have been experiencing as his spouse-to-be, uh, he thought, committed adultery. He thought that his spouse-to-be failed this test of fidelity. And according to the law of Moses, the, the, the law that Joseph and Mary uh, lived according to, according to that law, adultery was punishable by death. That's, that, that's how serious God takes this grave sin of adultery. And so now what is the best course of action for Joseph here? He thinks his spouse-to-be has committed adultery, uh, a, a crime, a violation, a sin that is punishable by death. So, so what's the best possible course of action? Well, apparently Joseph, he did respect the law of Moses, but at the same time, he was very, very considerate of Mary. As again in verse 19, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so rather than making this big, outrageous scene about Mary committing adultery on me and woe is me, Joseph was a very honorable man, uh, and, and he decided that, you know what? I, I'm going to respect Mary, you know, very honorable man, very, very. After what he thought Mary had done wrong to him, he thought, you know what? I'm just going to let the, the, this kind of sizzle out. I'm going to quietly divorce her, not make a big scene about this case. And so that was Joseph's plan that he was going to divorce her quietly kind of for her sake, but he was going to just separate himself totally from Mary because in his perspective, Mary has failed the test of fidelity, even though she didn't, but that was his perspective. 
And so we continue the story in verse 20, and it reads, But as he considered these things, as he considered to divorce Mary, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Joseph, he, he settled on this idea that I'm going to divorce Mary in a quiet, respectful manner. And, and as he settled on this decision, all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, as he's asleep, an angel appears to him in a dream. And thank goodness for, for this dream that Joseph had, because in this dream that he had, this angel shared all the information of what truly happened to Mary. He explained that Mary was not conceived by some other man, but Mary, the conception took place by none other than the Holy Spirit, God's precious Holy Spirit. And so the good news is for Joseph that Mary, she did not fail the test. She was not unfaithful to Joseph. And even to take this a step further, this angel shares this information that this child that she's bearing in, in, in her womb right now, this child, he's going to save the people from their sins. He's going to save you and I from our sins. This is how special this child that Mary, your spouse, is bearing within her womb. And his name shall be called Jesus, which means God saved, or Yeshua, you know, the, the, the Hebrew language that, that they use from time to time, the, the, the language that they used in the Old Testament, and because he would save the people from their sins. And his birth would be the fulfillment of none other than the prophet Isaiah. You know, that, that, that's probably the, people ask me how I can prove that the Bible is true. Probably the single greatest proof for me is that these prophecies written hundreds and hundreds of years before will, were fulfilled to the T. You know, Isaiah prophesied that there would be a, 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 a boy born of a virgin. How outrageous of a claim that would be, but that's exactly what took place because Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. As no, Jesus, he, he, he isn't literally God, but Jesus serves as the perfect representation of God to us. You know, it's kind of similar uh, like my dad and I. I. I'm not my dad personally. My name's not Rick McLean. But, but I serve as a pretty good, I, I'm probably the, maybe the best representation of the world of my father. As my dad raised me, and I would say I'm a pretty good, accurate representation of my father. In the same sense, Jesus served as the perfect representation of God to us all. So he was literally God with us all. His name, Emmanuel his name, Yeshua, which means God saves. So this was a precious, precious baby boy, as we all know. But Joseph was just learning how precious this baby boy that was living in the womb of his spouse to be at this moment. And so now we get to see the response of Joseph. How is Joseph going to respond to this dream that he had? 
It says in verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What incredible, incredible faith Joseph displayed here. As he believed that, that this angel was from the Lord, uh, the, this angel that he had a dream of, um, I'm not sure I would have that, that type of faith to believe this. If I had a dream of this, you know, I would try and explain the situation away and say, oh, it was just a dream that's not reliable. But what incredible faith that Joseph had here that he believed that, yes, Mary was bearing the Son of God, that Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Incredible. Joseph is one incredible man. And so Joseph believed this, and now he had all the information that he needed. So in the end, Joseph, he did not divorce Mary like he was originally going to do. But instead, Joseph took her in as his wife. But it's important also to note that, that Joseph did, did not come to know her before the birth. In other words, Joseph, uh, he, he did not lie down with Mary before the birth. They, they didn't do the deed before the birth as Mary needed to be a virgin to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And I just find it, that this story of Joseph incredible, that he had the faith to, to accept that Mary was bearing the child of God, the son of God, the, the, the man who would save the world from their sins. He, he would represent God to us all. And I find Joseph's story here incredible as well because Joseph, he had to realign his life in order to fit into God's will for his life. Because you see, Joseph, he was set that he was going to divorce Mary. He decided that that was the most reasonable uh, thing to do out of the, the events that took place. He said, I was going to divorce Mary in a quiet and respectful manner. And it would have been expected of Joseph. It would have been expected of Joseph to indeed divorce Mary. You know, the, the, this wasn't some outrageous idea that Joseph had. It, it was a very reasonable idea, just, justified idea that Joseph had to divorce Mary. However, Joseph realigned his life in order to fit God's will for his life. And let me tell you, this is a lesson that hits home for me as Joseph realigned his life to fit in with God's will. As I take a look, as I was reflective on this lesson of Joseph, and I took a look at my story in my life, I rewind my life five to six years ago, and I was living in Michigan with my family. You know, we, we, we have a, a very tight-knit family. I love my family. Um, I had near, we had nearly all of our extended family in Michigan. I had my friends from school in Michigan. I had basically everything I could have ever wanted in Michigan. And I would have been completely satisfied to stay in Michigan, to live next to my mom and dad, to live next to my sisters and grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins. And I would have been completely satisfied. 
But five to six years ago in my life, God was calling me to go somewhere else. God was calling me to, to travel across the country and go to a tiny college called Atlanta Bible College where there were less than 50 full-time students. And, and it seems like I remember explaining that I was going to this small college in Georgia to my friends in school. And it's like, what? You're, you're crazy, man. And I was crazy. It, it, it wasn't normal to travel across the country to go to some small school. But why? I did it because that was God's will in my life. And I had to realign my life to fit in with God's will. And let me tell you, there was no better place for me at that time. There was no better place for me than the Bible college. It's because it's the will that God had in my life. And I had to realign my life to fit God's will for me. If I take a look at my life now and I rewind two years from today, Jamie and I, we're, we're living in South Carolina. We're newlyweds. Um, uh, Jamie's family lived in South Carolina. We, we were less than 10 minutes down the road for them. We had most of our friends in South Carolina. Um, you, some of you guys might remember a, a man by the name of Luke Elwell, uh, who was my best man in my wedding. He, he lived five, less than five minutes down the road. I was his best man in Kayla's wedding. Not Luke's wedding, Kayla's wedding, um, and uh, it, it would have made great, much sense for Jamie and I to stay in South Carolina with Jamie's family and all of our friends down there. However, God was calling us to somewhere else. God was calling us to here. God, God was calling us to Springfield, Ohio. A place where, where, quite honestly, we didn't have any family. We didn't really have many friends at that time. We're, we're, we're enjoying the, this opportunity of creating more friends and, and experiencing fellowship with you all. But at that time, we didn't have any family, and we didn't really have much of any friends. And it didn't really make a lot of sense to leave all that we had in South Carolina to go to Ohio. The problem is that was God's will for us at that time. And let me tell you, there is no better place for us to be than here in Springfield, Ohio, because that is the place that God was calling our family to. Even though it really didn't make much logical sense, that was a place God was calling us to. And again, there was no better place for us. There's no better place for any of us than, than seeking God's will in our lives. Earlier this week, uh, in my own personal reading, I was reading uh, through the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 19. Um, and in verse 29, uh, uh, chapter 19, Jesus says, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my name's sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. As I was reading through uh, the, these verses again, it brought tears to my eyes because this is our story. This is the story of Jamie and I. As we left our, we left our homes, we left our brothers, sisters, father, mother, um, where we were from, uh, and it was all for uh, the, the, the Lord's sake. And uh, in the end, we, we're going to receive a hundredfold, and we are going to inherit eternal life. I told Jamie, hey, we, we, we have got to hang this verse up at our home, as this is our story. 
And I don't say this to, you, you know, kind of uh, talk myself up, but, but, I, but I share this story with you all in talking about the benefits of realigning your life to fit with God's will in your life. Let me tell you, hardly ever, hardly ever is it easy to realign your life to fit in with God's will. But I promise you, it is always worth it. It's almost never easy, but again, I promise you, it is always, 100% of the time, it is worth it to realign your life to fit in with God's will. And for all of us, it's going to look vastly different. It's going to look vastly different of us realigning our life to fit in with God's will. For some of us, that might look like us leaving our job. Maybe God is calling us to leave our job that we have to go seek another opportunity. Maybe God is calling us to realign our life to fit in with his will by making new friends. Maybe we need new friends in our life. Maybe he's calling us to step away from old friends, old friends that maybe aren't a, a very good influence in our life. Maybe God is calling you to, to realign your priorities. Or maybe he's calling you to go across the country like he did with Jamie and I. I don't know. Only you can know. I can't tell you what God's will is for you and your life. But whatever it is, you've got to realign your life to fit in with God's will. And Joseph, Joseph certainly had to realign his life as it would have made all the sense in the world to divorce Mary. But praise God that Joseph did not divorce Mary. Praise God because Joseph then, he served as an important role in raising the Son of God. That's the impact. That's the power of realigning our lives to fit in with God's will. Joseph helped raise our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's incredible. And we ask, why did that happen? It's because he realigned his life to fit in with God's will. But now Joseph, he wasn't the only one who realigned his life to fit in with God's will either. You know, this morning, uh, we, we will be remembering uh, communion um, and, and Jesus, he realigned his life to fit in with God's will. As I'm reminded that the night before Jesus paid the ultimate price of his life, the night before Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus was praying, he was expressing his feelings to God that, hey God, if there's any possible way, if there's any possible way, remove this cup from me. Because ultimately, Understandably, Jesus, he didn't want to have to go through the pain and torture of the cross. But ultimately, Jesus, he realigned his life to fit in with God's will. And praise God that he did. Because of that, because of that one act of Jesus realigning his life to fit in with God's will, because of that one act, we all have a chance at eternal life. Praise be to God. And so this morning, you, you, you can open up uh, the, the top flap there. And that's, this represents the, 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 the body of Jesus that was broken for us. The body of Jesus as Jesus realigned his life, as Jesus stationed himself to the cross, he placed himself in that position and because of that, 
Jesus' body was broken for each and every one of the, each and every one of us, and it's represented through the bread here this morning. Let's go ahead and pray over the bread, if you'll bow with me. Father, I thank you uh, for the examples of Mary and Joseph and them realigning their lives to fit in with your will. And ultimately, God, I thank you for your son. I thank you for your son, Jesus, and him realigning his life to fit in with your will so that he could pay our debt, he could pay our penalty of sin. Father, we cannot thank you enough for that. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the bread. same time as Jesus' uh, body was broken for each and every one of us, Jesus' blood was also spilled for each and every one of us on the cross. And this cup represents his blood being spilt for you and I. Let's pray over the cup. Father God, I thank you for what this cup represents. Father God, I thank you for the blood that was spilt on our behalf. I thank you for the promises that you've given to us that are only made possible through this cup and through this bread. And Father, I pray that, that we can just focus on the true reason of the season, the birth of your son, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the same man who paid the ultimate price for each and every one of us. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's partake of the cup. Father God, we love you. Father God, we come before you to serve you. Father, I pray that each and every one of us here, I pray that we realign our lives to fit in with your will. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.